Well, good morning, beloved of the Lord. Good morning. Good morning. All right. You can fade later, but don't fade right now, okay? At least let's start off well. Well, it's always a joy to be here with you, and um, my, this is one of the nicer places I get to go to, where I actually have warm water and running water and such, and lovely people like yourselves. I was just in Africa last week training a, a group of pastors, and we're trying to, I thought of it just as we were doing worship of showing you a, a short video clip of these pastors worshiping, and, but we couldn't quite get it. So hopefully by next week when we come back from New Zealand, Pastor Ben and I will have that 40-second uh, video clip uh, for you and maybe inject some lively worship. <laughs> No, it's, you guys worship fine. But um, <clears throat> it, it's good to, to see your brothers and sisters in other lands worshiping the Lord. And so hopefully we'll have that for you next week. And I just, before I actually get into the word, I want to express to you my great appreciation for you. Um, I've been, as Ben said, known him for many years. Uh, but also been coming here for a number of years, and, and you've always been a blessing. I really want to thank you also for your efforts of helping uh, raise funds for the Pastor Training Center in Uganda. And uh, that's coming along slower than we had hoped, but it's coming along. Actually, in January, we're looking at doing a training there at the Training Center. We have seven dorm rooms as well as a classroom and an office and a, a kitchen and, and uh, bathrooms. And we are going to have, by God's grace, the um, classroom functional so that the, the local pastors to that area that we've trained, we've trained over 300 pastors already throughout uh, the region. And actually this last one we had 31 pastors and we ha were given a list of 43 other pastors who had requested to be able to come to the next training. And so what we do uh, is Pastor James and Pastor David, uh, who are national Ugandans, uh, they're my uh, co-laborers in Christ there, they go out and they do a level one training in the villages and they do it two times because the education level is very uh, minimal in Uganda. And so uh, they do it two times, and I come along and do a level two training. And it's just such a joy to train these brothers and sisters who have never heard the Word of God taught. They don't know how to understand the Word of God. I know that is a concept that may be difficult for you to to appreciate or to grasp, but uh, you, if you've been attending this church or a church that teaches the Word of God, if you've gone through the discipleship training that is offered here, you know more, far more, than most of these pastors. And here are men and women that are overseeing a flock of, of God's people, and they don't have a clue. In fact, we've had numerous testimonies that they've told us over the few years that we've been doing this. Up until this training, I ne this is coming from pastors, by the way. 
I've never enjoyed reading the Bible. I didn't like reading the Bible. Imagine that. Now, I know Christians say that, but imagine your pastor saying that. And, and they're supposed to be feeding the flock. And so they're just, they're so teachable, they're so hungry, and uh, please continue to pray uh, for them. And I'll probably be, in 2020, I think I'm going there eight to 10 times in that year. And I'll be spending a lot of time there. So just keep that in prayer. And again, thank you. You, our guys are a tremendous blessing for sure. Our text this morning, Pastor Ben asked me via email before I got here. Uh, he said I could teach on whatever he, I felt the Lord leading. And, but he also said, can you teach through a book? So I thought, okay, so I'm here this Sunday and next Sunday. What book could I teach through in two 45-minute sessions? And uh, so we're going to be looking at the book of Jude, all right? So on your way to Jude, stop by 2 Timothy, if you would, chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, because I want to preface, and I like to preface much of my teaching with these two verses in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And actually, as I was preparing yesterday and this morning for this morning's message and uh, looked at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, I remember it's possible last time I was here with you, we looked at these two verses before we started our study. But I think these two verses that we're going to look at in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17, are verses not only full of truth, but also verses that are very important for you and I in regards to how we approach the Word. Whether it's on a Sunday morning, or midweek, or during the week, or you sitting at home in the morning, evening, afternoon, whenever it is that you open up your Bible, and read the Bible, or you listen to the Bible, however it is, that we do it in the right manner. And what we read in these two verses of 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17, helps us come to the right place. And so let me read it to you. You follow along with me as I read. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And this is how we need to approach the Word of God, anytime, any place. And that is that realizing that this is God's Word, it is inspired, it is given by him to us for a purpose. And what is the purpose? Well, we read that it's profitable for doctrine or teaching. It's profitable for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. Is that how I come to the Bible? Me as well, just as you. I'm no different than you are. I need to be taught. I need to be instructed. I need to be at times reproved. I need to be at times corrected. And 
not only is it that I do I realize that that's part of the function, the purpose of God's word, but listen, listen, gang. Am I teachable? Do I come to the word, not just realizing that this is what it's given for, but do I come to the word humbly and saying, Lord, where I is needed, will you reprove me? Where it is needed, will you correct me? Where it is needed, will you teach me and instruct me? Because if ever you reach the point or in your mind, in the figment of your imagination, that you don't need to be instructed, you have a serious problem. Because that stinks of pride, of which we're all infected with. And so we need to humbly come before the Lord when we open up his word and desiring to be taught, to be instructed, to be corrected, to be reproved. And so for what purpose? To what end? Well, verse 17 tells us that the man of God may be perfect, or that's also translated mature, thoroughly furnished unto good works. Many Christians do not understand the purpose for which God has saved them. Many think that the, the purpose he saved you is so that you would go to heaven. Well, that's a very small part of it. You're still here. And so if the purpose was for you to go to heaven, then, well, why are you still here? You're here for a reason. You all no doubt know Galatians, or Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For we are saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. But so seldom is verse 10 attached to that, even though it's attached in the Bible. When it says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Paul, or Jesus said to the disciples in John chapter 15, verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and ordained you. And then he tells them why, that you might bear much you exist, you have been saved for the glory of God. You're not your own. You are his. He wants to pour himself into you so that he could continue the work that he began when he was here on earth. And we see him doing that, what, in the book of Acts, right? We see, it's, it's I think, wrongly said, the book, or the book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. It's more the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. They were simply instruments by which God used. But he could not fill them with the Spirit when they were filled with themselves. You see, it's not until we're emptied of ourself can he fill us with himself and do that work that he wants to do. So you have been saved unto good works. You've been saved for the glory of God. You've been saved to bear fruit. How important is fruit? Well, back in, in John chapter 15, verse 8, we read this about fruit. He says, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, and you will be my disciples. How do you bring glory to God? By bearing fruit. 
How do you bear fruit? Well, back in verses 1 through 5 of John chapter 15, he gives us the picture, the illustration of the vine and the branch. We're nothing but a branch. And as long as we're connected, as we're abiding in Christ, he says in verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's only by as we're attached, submitted, surrendered to him, can he pour into us and through us to do what he wants to do. But that calls for humility. That calls for surrender to him. And so... I went a little bit longer than I intended on that, so sorry, lo siento. But let's turn now to the book of Jude. And as you're doing that, Jude is the second to the last book in the Bible, right before the book of Revelation. As you're doing that, I do hope and I've been praying that we would be teachable this morning. Because you see, the book of Jude is a very important book for our time. Jesus, in talking to the disciples, instructing them concerning what it would be like before he would return. Matthew chapter 24, Luke chapter 17, Luke chapter 21, and then uh, Mark chapter 13, and, and a number of times in the epistles of Paul and Jude and Peter, they give us particular signs, if you would, of what it will be like. And it's very important for you and I to note that of all the things that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 of what it would be like, exciting things, right? Earthquakes in various places, famines, and that, that seems to be what gets many people's attentions. But listen, dear ones, that has no effect whatsoever on your life. It may make you uncomfortable or make life difficult. But the very first thing that he started with, that you should be far more concerned with, more than the, what we might call big signs, earthquakes and things like that, and nation rising against nation and all of this, is what he says in the first four verses, and he says it three times. And that is, don't be deceived. Deception will run rampant before his return. That's what you really should be concerned with, is being deceived. Paul tells it this way. He says, in the last days, many will depart from the faith. They will turn their ears away from sound doctrine to those teaching false things. That's what you need to be concerned with. I mean, the other things, they're not going to affect you. Again, they may make your life difficult, an earthquake here, an earthquake there, or a famine here, a famine there. But that has no bearing on your relationship with Christ. Whereas if you start following some false teaching, oh my goodness, that's a whole different story. That's going to lead you away from Christ. That's what you need to be concerned with. And that's what Jude focuses on. That's the focus of this little one-chapter book. And it's been a problem throughout the ages. It's been a, it started where? In the Garden of Eden. And it's, con, it, it's continued on through the ages. But it will climax in the last days. It will become more than ever imaginable. And so with that in mind, 
You know, Luke wrote the Acts of the Apostles. Jude writes the Acts of the Apostates. So just keep that in mind. That's what it's all about. That's a catchy little phrase, isn't it, Ben? You like that? Hmm, I think I'll write that down. Okay, so here we go. Follow along with me. I don't know how far we're going to get this morning, but what, where we don't uh, get past a certain point, we'll pick up Lord willing next week. So follow along with me. I am reading out of King James. I don't know what translation you have, but I think you'll be able to make sense of it no matter what translation you have, okay? Jude, the bondservant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. <clears throat> for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, as we've opened up your word, I pray that your spirit would open up our eyes to this very important book. And Lord, open up our hearts, our minds, our ears to hear what you would say to us. That, Lord, where we have been going astray, chasing after other things, rather than following hard after you. Lord, I pray that you would correct us, that you would reprove us, and grant us the grace to forsake that and turn back wholeheartedly to follow you. So easy to get distracted with things in this life, even what may appear to be uh, good things. But, Lord, there's really only one thing that matters, and that's what you said to Martha as she was upset about her sister stopping helping her from working, serving, and just sitting at your feet. And you said there's only one thing that is needful, and Mary has chosen it. So, Lord, may we make that conscious decision this morning and in the days to come to Choose that one thing that is needful, to sit at your feet and to be instructed of you and, and conform to the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And to you and you alone be all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we go back to verse 1, we see first and foremost who wrote this book, and the title is given to us, that of Jude. Jude is the Greek form of Judah, which means, let God be praised. Good name to have, right? Be nice to be known as let God be praised. Hey, let God be praised. How have you been today? Um, of course, you'd have to live up to that name, wouldn't you? 
But notice how he describes himself. He calls himself or identifies himself as a bondservant. I wish we had time to go into that. I'm sure many of you have already uh, learned what a bondservant is. A bondservant is much different than a slave. A bondservant is simply someone who by choice, though they've been set free from the debt that they've owed, they by choice have surrendered that freedom to serve their master the rest of their life because that master was so good to them. You can read about that in Exodus chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. You can also read about it in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, where Jesus himself is identified as a bondservant. He humbled himself and took on the form of a servant, a bondservant. And so it's no wonder that Jude and Paul and James and Peter, all in one of their epistles, will identify themselves as James, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, Peter, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, because they're simply following their master's example. And there's tremendous significance to that. But again, for time's sake, we're not going to go into detail on that. Moving along in verse 1, we see to whom he is writing this to. He's writing it to the sanctified, the preserved, your translation might say saved, and the called. And so this morning, if you're born again this morning, this letter is to you. All of God's word, the Bible, is to believers. It's not to non-believers. God uses it for non-believers, but it's directed to the saved to instruct us how to live our life, how to follow Christ. And so that's who it's to. It's to you and I. <clears throat> As we continue, we see in verse 2 uh, one of the common greetings of the day, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied unto you. Of course, not only was that a common greeting, but for us Christians, Jude is expressing his desire for these very important elements of the Christian faith to be multiplied to his readers throughout the ages. A good thing to have, for sure. Now in verse 3. Verse 3 we have, and into the beginning of verse 4, the reason for which Jude writes this letter. But he begins by stating what he was going to write about. What was he going to write about? What was it that he was wanting to write to them about? Well, read with me in verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, that's what he was going to write to us about. We don't know, have any idea what he was going to say about the common salvation that we all share, but this is what he was intending to write. But then the Holy Spirit redirected him to something of great importance for that day and throughout the ages. For you see, even in Jude's day, there were false teachers. And what comes with false teachers? Not a trick question. What accompanies false teachers? What? False teaching, yeah. They just kind of go hand in hand, right? False teachers bring false teaching. So, here he says, it was needful, it was necessary for me to write unto you 
and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. We're going to take some time on this. This is very important. Please understand this. For those of you who name the name of Christ, this is to you. This isn't just to Pastor Ben and some of the elders. This is to every believer that you are exhorted to seriously, earnestly contend for the faith. And unfortunately, many professing believers have been very passive concerning the faith. And we'll look at some things that, that are need to be looked at this morning in this. <clears throat> and so we're just going to break it down. He's imploring them. He's begging them to earnestly contend for the faith. This word contend comes from the Greek word apokonemiza, which means, the, the root word is there, is agonize. Have you ever agonized over anything? Maybe some sorrow, some pain, a loss, um, whatever it might be. It, it's not a pleasant process, is it? But when you agonize over something or someone, your whole being is involved. It's not just kind of a passing, casual kind of thing. It affects every part of you. And that's what Judas is imploring believers of his day as well as today, that you would agonize, that you would contend. It means to struggle, to wrestle. Not with the faith, but for the faith. Because all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, in the beginning, the Word of God has been under attack. You might remember there in the garden, we have Eve there by the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and there was Satan. And the first thing that he said to Eve was, did God say, you shall not eat of the tree. The nature of that question is to incite question in the mind, in the heart. Did God, hmm, did he say, well, I'm not sure. Yeah, thank you, I, sure. In fact, Eve said, yes, he did say, we should not eat of, or, we sh can eat of all the trees except that one. Because, now listen, listen. I'm trying my best not to move. I always like to move around, but anyway. She knew the word of God, which was what? God said, in the day that we eat of that tree, we will die. And you know the next thing that Satan said? You won't die. For God knows in the day that you eat of that tree, you'll become as God, knowing good and evil. And so the attack upon God's word, and this is, this is the thing to keep in mind. We'll see in just a moment, you need to contend for what? The faith. It's not just faith. Everybody has faith. The atheist has faith. Do you know that? What is their faith in? That there's no God. Everybody has faith. But whenever the Apostle Paul, here Jude, or... 
James or Peter, whenever they're talking about saving faith, whenever they're talking about faith in God, they always use the definite article, the. The faith. And this is the faith that is under attack. And the word pistos in the Greek also has the understanding of the truthfulness of God. Understand that. What is under attack? What was under attack in the Garden of Eden? The truthfulness of God. What was the truthfulness of God? You eat of that tree, what's going to happen? You're going to die. Satan attacked that. And that has been his M.O. throughout the ages, to attack the truthfulness of God, of what God has said. You can't believe God. God's holding something good back from you that you should have, and you could become so much more. God's not being fair, and so on and so forth. And so <clears throat> the faith. We are to contend for that. And again, because of the passivity of so many professing believers, the truth of God has been steamrolled over. Because for, well, for a couple different reasons. One of them is out of fear. I want you to think with me of Acts chapter 4. The church was growing. The apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were fearless. And so when you're fearless, that wasn't the case in the Gospels. They were fearful, right? Being fearful, it means you're filled with fear. And whatever you're filled with, that's what's going to control you. That's why you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, because it's the Holy Spirit that's going to control you. But if you're filled with fear, that fear is going to control you. And God never tells you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, to fear. The only thing, the only one he tells you to fear is to fear God. And when you fear God, you have no need to fear anybody else. In fact, you will be fearless. And it doesn't matter what man can do to you, because you know you're in the hand of God. And you have nothing to fear. Now, let me just say this for a moment. Not to make any of you uneasy, but if, if you need to be uneasy, you need to be uneasy. When you fear, and God tells you not to fear, what would you call that? Starts with an S, ends with an N, and there's a I in the middle. It's sin. Yeah, that's right. When you worry, when God tells you not to worry, what, what is that? Sin. God says, don't murder, and you murder. What did you do? You sinned. God tells you not to lie, and you lie. What did you do? You sinned. <clears throat> God tells you not to fear man, and you fear man. What did you do? Listen, gang, you're never going to get beyond sin if you don't call it for what it is. When you worry, when you fear, you're, sin. you're sinning against God, who told you not to. And he doesn't tell you not to do it do your best. You're on your own not to do it. He gives you all that you need not to do it. He's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. He's given us great and precious promises that the man of God, the woman of God, might be thoroughly equipped unto every good work. 
He's given you the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The question is not how much of the Holy Spirit do you have? I had someone just ask me that the other night at discipleship class. I said, that's not the, that's not the question. The question is not how much do you have. It's, the question is how much of you does the Holy Spirit have? How much of yourself have you surrendered to him to, to fill you with so that you would be filled with the Spirit and not filled with fear? not filled with worry, not feared full with anxiousness, because whatever you're filled with, that's going to control you. That's going to influence you. And so <clears throat> we have here the need to contend for the faith, not to be fearful. But you see, Satan and the world is working through two particular things. We, we kind of went off track. Sorry about that. And I told you to go to the book of Acts, right? Acts chapter 4. They were threatened. Don't you preach about this Jesus anymore. They had been beaten. But they were fearless. In fact, they stood up to these that were threatening them with prison and further beatings, and even death, and said, you tell us what is right. Should we obey God or should we obey man? But for us, we're going to obey God. Do what you will. We don't fear you. We fear God. And that was the difference between the book, the Gospels, where they were filled with fear. Why, so many times Jesus came and said, why are you so fearful? And the book of Acts, where they were now filled with the Holy Spirit. But listen, the only way that they could be filled with the Holy Spirit is the only way that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is when you're broken of yourself and you're humbled before him. Because when you're filled with yourself, God won't fill you. There's no room for him in there. And so they, they stood up and they were threatened with further beatings and imprisonment. And... In Acts chapter 4, let's turn there for just a moment real quickly. Acts chapter 4. In verse... 20, we read, this is them responding, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And before that, they were threatened not to talk about Jesus anymore. That's how the world tries to silence us, by threatenings. And my goodness, Australia is not much different than America, where I am four months a year with all the different teachings and beliefs of the world, trying to force us to not speak up against what the Bible says is so clearly wrong, so clearly sin, and threatened with, well, imprisonment maybe, re-education camps to get you to think like the world and such. And so there's not just that, but shame. 
the world tries to shame you into silence. Oh, you don't believe that. Nobody believes that anymore. The Bible's old stuff. This is a new age. We don't go under those, by those things anymore. Well, let's go back to Jude. We have about 10 minutes left. <clears throat> we read in verse 4 also that these truths, this faith, has been delivered to us. Do you know what cost, dear ones? this book that you hold in your hands has been delivered to you. There has been so many deaths, so much blood shed so that we can hold the Word of God in our hands. So many have suffered tremendously. John Wycliffe and others who translated the Bible into English burnt at the stake, tortured, and, and so on and so forth. This has been delivered to us, the faith, this book, the truth of God, has been delivered to you and I through the blood of the saints. Do we treasure it? Do we hold it dear to us? Or is it something, again, that we're very passive about? I hope you're not ashamed of the gospel. I hope you're not ashamed of, of what this book says, that you will contend, you will stand up and speak the truth concerning this. You will agonize over it. Continuing on in verse 4, we read this. Are you back in Jude with me? Now, does your verse 4 begin with the word for, F-O-R? Make note of this if you don't know it. Many times, not always, but oftentimes, whenever you have the word for, you could, at least in your mind, exchange that with the word because. For what is being done here is that they're assigning a reason. So keep that in mind, assigning a reason. What were we just told previous to this? Contend for the faith. Well, you see that. As a Bible student, you should be thinking, why? Right? Well, he's going to tell us. For, because, what? Why do we need to contend for the faith? Look at verse 4, and this is a question for you. I want you to answer it. He tells us to earnestly contend for the faith. What is the reason you and I need to earnestly contend for the faith? I can't read lips. Okay. That's right. Certain men have crept in unaware. And what did those certain men do? They brought in false teaching. This is a homework assignment for you for, for next Sunday. Okay? I want you to read 2 Peter chapter 2. Because 2 Peter chapter 2 is very similar to the book of Jude. But I also want you to read the book of Jude. Read it as many times as you can. Okay? And as you're reading through it, you're going to see numerous in verses, the, the second part of verse 4 all the way through verse 16, you're going to see numerous characteristics identified for us of these false teachers. 
And so I want you to identify those. I want you to maybe just make a list, okay? Why? So that you can come next week and say, see, my homework, I did it. Give me a start. No. Listen. Listen. If you're going to contend with something, this, this is a military practice. When I was on the police department and on the SWAT team, we would always find out as much of, about our, um, not opponent, that seems too nice, um, the criminal, as we could. We didn't want to go in there blindly. We wanted to get all the intel possible so that we could, as best as we could, go into the situation ready. Well, how can you contend with someone if you know nothing about them, right? And so what Jude is doing in the majority of this little letter, he's giving us numerous characteristics of these false teachers and their false teachings so that we can contend against them. And so here we read in verse 4 that they've crept in. Now, there's something very important for Pastor Ben and for you that are leaders and elders in this church. Something is implied here. These false teachers and false teachings got in unaware, meaning that the pastors and the leaders weren't doing their job. Part of the job of a pastor, part of the job of an elder, is to watch over the flock and to keep them safe from false teaching. And sometimes that means to confront. That sometimes that means to correct. Taking them to the word and say, you know, what, what you're listening to, what you're watching, what you're, you're starting to believe does not go along with the Bible and you're going down the wrong path. And that's not always well received, but it's necessary regardless. Because if a person continues down that path, what's going to happen? They're going to be led astray. And so here they came in unaware. And I've been a pastor for 38 years. And I've never once, even though we've had numerous false teachers and false teachings come through the church, I've never once had a false teacher come to my door and go, Oh, pastor, here, I'm a false teacher. I want to come in and destroy the church. You don't mind if I come in, do you? No, that's not how they come in. They come in saying, hallelujah, praise the Lord, oh, Jesus is wonderful. Yes, he is. And they know the songs. They know all the things. They hold to a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. And they have not bent the knee and the will to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so there is a very important task for us as leaders. But also we read here, not only have they crept in unaware, they were also ordained of old. But, and we'll look at that more next week. But he says they, were, they are ungodly men. What does that mean? They don't have God. They may sound like it. They may look like it. They may act like it. But the reality of it is God is not in their life. Do you know... This, this is mind-blowing to me until I realize the reason for it. Do you remember what Jesus said at the end of his ministry with his disciples concerning Judas? 
He said, have I not chosen you 12 and yet one of you is the devil? The 11, the 11 other apostles didn't go, I think it's Judas. No. And then the night in which he would be betrayed at the dinner table, he said, one of you is going to betray me. And you know what the disciples said? They didn't all turn and look. I'm sorry, Ben. They didn't all turn and look. They didn't all turn and look at Judas. What did they say? Is it me? Is it I? Here was one among them who was the devil, Jesus said. And they had no clue. Now, I don't want you to start looking around thinking, hmm, who's the devil in this room? No, that's not the point. The point is, why couldn't they realize? Why didn't they know it? This is it. Because they were so consumed with themselves. Who was the greatest? They had been arguing amongst themselves for months. In fact, at the scene of the, the Last Supper, there was also contention among them, Luke tells us, concerning who was the greatest. They couldn't see it. You, there's a whole lot you can't see when your eyes are on yourself, dear ones. You can't see anything. And for most of all, you can't see the problem with yourself. And yet it's self that Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you got to die. You can't follow Jesus when your eyes are on yourself, when you're consumed with yourself. So getting back to the text, my goodness, I didn't get nearly as far as I wanted to today. But <clears throat> looking further into verse 4, not only are the ungodly men, but they turn the grace of God into lasciviousness, into license to sin. Oh, grace covers it all, is said among so many today that profess Jesus. God understands. He'll forgive me. And they use the grace of God as if it's a license to sin. Listen, dear ones, the grace of God is not a license to sin. The grace of God is what he gives you so that you can live recklessly abandoned to Jesus. So that you can live for the glory of God. Not so that you can sin at will and do whatever you want. That's not the purpose of the grace of God. It's not just that you're saved by grace. You live by grace. You persevere by grace. You suffer by grace. You do anything and everything by the grace of God. That's what the grace of God is for. And finally, and I'm just going to touch on this. I'll go into it in much greater detail next week because it's, to me, one of the most important parts of this verse 4. Not only were they turning the grace of God into a license to sin, but they were also denying the only Lord God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And when I, we read that term, deny the Lord, no doubt what comes into most of your minds, and mine as well, is when Peter denied the Lord, right? But listen, dear ones. It's not just standing there and saying, I don't know the man, and bringing the third time curses down on himself, and saying, I'll be blankety-blank if I know that man. Now, that's, that's very obvious, isn't it? But let me tell you something. It didn't start there. It started long before that. 
you go back six months to Matthew chapter 16, when after Peter had received the revelation of who Jesus was, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus pronouncing that upon this rock, this pronouncement, will I build my church? He wasn't saying I'm going to build my church upon Peter. Praise God for that. But upon the pronouncement that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then it says in verse 21, from that time forward, Jesus began to tell his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and be crucified and on the third day rise again. And in the very next verse, the one who had been given great revelation denied Jesus. How so? He pulled Jesus aside and he began to rebuke the Lord, saying, far be it from you, Lord, that this should ever occur to you. Yes. Remember what the word deny, or I'm sorry, not the word deny, but uh, the truth means, or the faith, I mean. Remember what that means? The truthfulness of God. What had Jesus just told them? The Son of Man must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and be crucified. Is that not the truth of God? It wasn't just the truth of God coming out of Jesus' mouth. It was the truth of God spoken of the prophets years before. And so what was Peter doing? He was denying the truth of God, coming against it. Just as some of you are currently doing, and all of us have at one time or another. How so? Well, if you're honest, which I assume you all are, and if you look back maybe not too far, but maybe far for some of you, there's been times in your life when you would have to say, you've thought you've known better than the Lord. And you went and did what you wanted to do rather than what was clearly spoken by the word of God. And by doing that, dear ones, you're denying that Jesus is Lord. Do you know there's a time when Jesus was talking to his disciples and he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I say? We say, Jesus is Lord, and rightly so, he is. But I want you to read this verse, not right now, but write it down. Titus chapter 1, verse 16. It says, by your very works you deny the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you can say one thing with your mouth, so can I. And you can say something totally contrary by how you live your life. And it should not be, should it? We that are parents, have we not at times told our children to do such and such, and yet as they look at our life, they see a contradiction? Should not be. Jesus taught two ways. He taught with his mouth, and he taught with his life. And there was never a contradiction 
between the two. And so <clears throat> if we are going to not deny the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not just by our mouth, but we can't deny him by our life. To live a life that is well-pleasing unto the Lord. And again, dear ones, that can only come as we humble ourselves before him because there's no way in the world that you or I could ever, in our own strength, our own ability, do anything to please the Lord. And yet he gives us all that we need. How glorious is that? How amazing is that? So next week, we'll continue to look at, at some of the characteristics. There's so many of them. We're not going to look at all of them. But we'll also look at, you see, it's not just important that you understand and be able to identify the one you're contending with. It's important that you understand what it is that God has given you to be able to contend with. And that's this. And that's why week after week, here at Calvary Chapel of Sydney, Pastor Ben and others in his absence will teach you the Word of God so that you might be thoroughly equipped to be able to contend for the faith. Amen? Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your Word, for the privilege and the honor that you have given to us to have a Bible in our language. And English, like any other, no other language, has numerous translations. And I pray, Father, that we would um, take to heart the tremendous privilege and honor that is ours to have your word in such an abundance. Father, that your word would find its way into our heart to bring about the changes that need to occur so that our lives would not reflect us, but rather reflect Jesus. For there is hope in none other than Jesus. There's salvation in none other than Jesus, and there's hope in none other than Jesus. So Lord, I pray that you'd bless my brothers and sisters, Father. Lord, as they read your word this week, may you open their eyes to many wonderful truths of your word. And not just for the sake of knowing and understanding, but Lord, for applying them into our life. And may it all be done for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.